If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Acts chapter 2. We've been in a series of studies on Sunday mornings on how to connect and stay connected that we've entitled Great Expectations. What you as a member or as a soon-to-be new member of Abilene uh, can expect from us and then what we as a church expect from you. If you were here last Sunday in Acts 2, we saw the Bible's blueprint for corporate worship. And we saw there the call for worship, how the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It means we've been called out, called together. Worship is war. We saw the culture of worship, that worship should be focused on the Father, founded on the Son, and fueled by the Holy Spirit. We saw the components of worship. And what are they? They are preaching and praying and praising and participating. And then we saw the crescendo or the climax of worship where the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now this morning what I want us to do is I want us to see what the Bible has to say about the transforming power of connected community because the church by definition, is a community. It is a family. It is a fellowship. John Wesley was exactly right when he said that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. And I was reminded this past week that in the Bible, the word saint never appears in the singular. It is always plural. It is never saint. It is always saints. Why? Because we were made for each other and we need each other. Those two great theologians, Charlie Brown and Lucy, were having a discussion one day, and Lucy was telling Charlie Brown where she wanted him to go, what she wanted him to do, and he said, give me one good reason why I should do that. She said, I'll give you five good reasons. And she said, you know, by themselves, they may not look like much, but when they get together, they are a force to be reckoned with. And you know, the church, by ourselves, we may not look like much, but... When we get together, we are a force to be reckoned with. And the Bible says that we have been put together. We've been joined together. We've been built together. We are members together. We are heirs together. We've been fitted together. We are held together. And one of these days, we will be caught up together. And here's the problem, though. The overwhelming vast majority of people today only come to church about three times in their lives. They come when they're born, when they're married, and when they're buried. In other words, when their hats matched and dispatched. The first time they come, we throw water on them. The second time, we throw rice at them. The third, the third time, we throw dirt on them, and that's about it. Some of y'all are still trying to figure out hats match and dispatch. Catch up. <laughs> you know, you're here, here in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus came out of the grave, and Luke says that he walked on this, this earth for 40 days. But before he left, he gathered all of his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and he gave them a commission in Acts 1-8. He said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we come to Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. He preaches. The Holy Spirit comes down. Uh, 3,000 people are saved and the church is born. Did you know that church historians estimate that within seven years of Pentecost, over 100,000 people, half of the population of the city of Jerusalem had come to faith in Jesus Christ. In seven years, they had gone from a handful of believers to over 100,000 people born again Christians. I just say, wow, right? I'll say it backwards for you. Wow. 
And so what you have really here when we come to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40 down through verse 47, it's a case study. It's a case study on the transforming power of connected community that you could and you can and you should experience here at Abilene Baptist Church. And so the question I want to ask and answer this morning is, what is a church? That's an important question. And let me tell you what I think comes to mind for a lot of people when, when you say the word church. Here's what the way a lot of people view the word church today. They view it as a movie theater. And what's a movie theater? A theater is where you go in on the weekend, you stay a couple of hours, and you watch a show. What's the purpose of a theater? It's where you go to be... That's right. You go there to be entertained, maybe to be inspired. And so we go in and we get some good seats. And by the way, can I just say this? The best seats in the room are up here on the front row, right? If you had gone to the football game yesterday and you had gotten the front row seats, you would have paid a whole lot more money than you paid for the nosebleed uh, seats. It's the exact opposite in most of our churches. And so you go in and you get some good seats there at the theater. When it's over, we walk out. We let our eyes adjust to the light a little bit. We begin to critique and evaluate uh, the, the movie. Was it a good movie? Did it go a little too long? Did the plot drag a little bit? Would you give it two thumbs up? Would you give it one thumbs down? And here's why we do that. We believe on Sunday morning that we're the audience and we're just here for the show. Pastor Brad and Josh and John and the choir and the praise team and the, the orchestra and the musicians, they're the actors and God is the prompter feeding us our lines. That is not the Bible's view of the church. Josh and John and me are the prompters. You are the actors, and God is the audience. Now look there in Acts 2, verse 42. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Those two little words there, st continued steadfastly in the English, it's, it's one word in the Greek. And it means they committed themselves to it. This was a way of life for them. They weren't just there to hear stories. They came to hear and apply God's word for their lives. And, and Paul, Paul described the church this way in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He called it the pillar and ground of the truth. Look, the Bible is our foundation. It is what we build our lives upon. And the Bible is our compass. It directs our lives and determines the decisions that we make, that financially and professionally and relationally and even with our family. And so the church isn't here for, for, for us to come in for an hour or so on a couple of Sundays a month and watch a show and be entertained. The church is that place that helps you and me focus on Jesus. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the very first thing the church does, the church helps us believe. When Peter preached, the Bible says, that the people who heard him, they were cut to the heart. And the Bible says in verse 37, they said, what shall we do? And so when we gather here on Sunday morning, when we come to the worship service, we sit in rows. When we go to Sunday school, we sit in circles. But whenever we sit here on Sunday mornings, we need to be asking ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to tell us what needs to change in my life. What do I need to do differently? These folks, the Bible says, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were committed to living by what they heard and learned, and they dedicated themselves to the Word of God 
God, aligning their life to the Word. And that won't ever happen if you view yourself as the audience out there and us up here as the actors. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, our churches these days are filled with a soft breed of Christian that must be fed a constant diet of harmless fun to keep them interested. And that's the problem with a lot of church folks today. We want to be challenged, but we don't want to change. We want to be fed, but we don't want to spend any time back in the kitchen. We want to be united as long as everybody else is united around what we want and what we like. We want performance instead of worship. We would say, Holy Spirit, come down. But now, Holy Spirit, you need to understand, we've only got about an hour. You've got to do your business about an hour because we've got to get out of here. We've got places to go and people to see. Right? Y'all quiet this morning. You say, you hadn't taken a breath. All right. Now, amen? So the church isn't a movie theater. And I'll tell you some, another thing that it's not. It's not a store. The church is not a store. You know, on any given day, we could spend a couple of hours just walking up and down the aisles of Kmart and Walmart, Kmart, Walmart and Kroger uh, and, uh, and Best Buy. I'm dating myself, right? So what do you do in a store? You shop. As a matter of fact, I know some of you all, and there are those pe members at Abilene, and you are black belts in shopping. Yeah, I know it. I watch you. But when we're in a store, what are we doing? We're looking for what we want at prices we like. And if we don't find it in that store, we'll go down the street to another store. And that way of thinking has become so prevalent in our consumer-based culture that when you're talking with folks who are visiting a church, sometimes they'll let it slip and they'll say something like this, hey, we're just shopping around or hey, we're church shopping. And here's what they're saying so often. They don't mean it, but that's what they're saying. We're just here to see what you have on the shelf and to see how much it costs. And I've got to be very open and honest and transparent with you today and say that a lot of this is on us as pastors and as church leaders because we have treated people like consumers instead of contributors. Now, look back here in verse 42. The Bible says down there, and they continued steadfastly. that They were deeply committed to each other in fellowship. It's not the way it's going to be when your shopper's in the store. So I was, I was getting ready this morning at 530 I was up, hit the snooze button a couple of times, got up, getting dressed, and I'm thinking, trying to add up my mind, trying to add up the days. And you need to understand, I never was any good at math. I'm really not good at counting unless it's counting worship attendance. And in that, I'm an expert. And I was getting ready this morning. I was trying to figure out, we're about, what, just a little over two months away from Black Friday. Does that sound about right? Just a little bit over two months away from Black Friday, Right. And I, I know some of you all know. I watch you all every year. Y'all crazy. <laughs> You'll eat Thanksgiving dinner, and then you will get out late at night. You will line up like cattle at a gate. Trying to get in at 12.01 into whatever store you want that thing in this year. And you will run in there, and you're running up down the aisles. You're elbowing everybody and kicking everybody and trampling over everybody. And you'll get in there, if there's one item left on the shelf, you might not even want it, but if there's one, life, one item left, you, you know everybody else does, so you grab it for yourself, and then you go to try to get out, and you look for the, the shortest line. That's what you do when you're, you're shopping. That's the way a lot of people view the church as well. They want to make sure the church caters to them and to their wants. 
But I want you to look in Acts 2, verse 44. Look at this church in Acts. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. That verse right there tells us the second way this community called the church helps to transform our lives. The church helps us belong. I say it all the time at Abilene. Abilene is a family. That's what we are. Abilene is a family. Now, we are a large family. The Augusta Chronicle, I think it was on Saturday morning, the, the first line says, one of the largest churches in Columbia County made this donation. We are a large, by anybody's measurement, by anybody's scale, Abilene Baptist Church is a large, large we, didn't, we didn't drop below 1,200 on any regular day during the summer. Uh, coming into this new church here, we're way up. Today's a little bit low because Baptists are scared they're going to melt when it rains. No, Baptists don't melt, we clump, Right? But Abilene is a large family, and so do we have different opinions? Sure. Do we have different ideas? Absolutely. Do we have a few crazy aunts and uncles? Yep, and we love them like crazy too. Why? Because we are a family. We are brothers and sisters. Randy and Gary worked for a furniture store up in the state of Maine, and people told them all the time, y'all look just like, y'all look like your family. Randy knew that he had been adopted, and so he went out and he wanted to see his birth certificate. So he went out on public records and he found his birth certificate. He discovered that both of his birth parents were dead, but he had a brother who was born about a year after him on June the 10th, 1974. They're out delivering one day, and like so often before, somebody, the customer told them, you guys could be brothers, y'all look just alike. They got back in the truck, headed back to the store, and Randy looked over at Gary and he said, hey, when were you born? What was your birthday? And Gary said, my birthday is June the 10th, 1974. They'd been brothers all along and didn't even know it. Look right here. There's nothing like family, especially when you didn't even know you had one. You know why that story sounds so familiar? Because it's what happens every single Sunday morning. We come in here and we discover brothers and sisters that we never even knew we have. That's what it means to be a church. We are family. We are committed to one another. And so the church isn't a theater. It is not a store. We are a family. And I tell people all the time, Abilene is not perfect. I'm going to say it one more time. Abilene is not perfect. We are just as dysfunctional as your family and my family. And we even have our share of crazy cousin Eddie's running around here, right? And even if you don't know that you're a crazy cousin Eddie, we know that you're a crazy cousin Eddie, right? And if you look around this morning and you can't put your finger on a crazy cousin Eddie around you, guess what? You're him. The church is not a theater. The church is not a store. Number three, the church is not a restaurant. Although that's God's chicken right there. Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday. Have y'all had that new pimento cheese sandwich? How many of y'all have had that thing? Can I see your hands? How many of y'all think, I mean, that's just angel food right there, right? I think that sandwich is going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm just absolutely convinced of that. And so, but the church is not a restaurant. What, what do you do when you, when you go to a restaurant? What do you expect? You expect to be waited on and served. 
Let's suppose that after the service this morning, because we're going to get done a little bit early maybe, and you decide since the preacher lets you out early, you're going to go down to California Dreaming or Longhorn, you're going to go to Bonefish or somewhere like that. How do you think you would feel if you walked in there and they handed you a washcloth and said, hey, would you mind cleaning up a few of these tables around here when you get done with that? Would you mind going back to the back? we got some dishes that, that need to be washed. I don't know about you, but that's probably not going to be a winning business model, right? And I hear it from time to time, not directly. It kind of makes its way back around to me. Well, I just want to go to a place where I'll be fed. By the way, that's not a bad thing. Because we all know that spiritual growth happens way more back in the kitchen than it does sitting at the table. And there are some of you say, oh, y'all going to be glad you came this morning. Maybe not. There are some of you here this morning, and you need to push back from the table, put down the menu, get up, grab a towel, and start serving. Acts 2, verse 45, while you're chewing on that. The Bible says there they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This church was saturated with a spirit of selflessness. Kyle Eidelman. I heard that name for the very first time. He wrote a book called Not a Fan. He's the pastor of the Southeastern Christian Church in Louisville. Kyle Eidelman and his wife, he says they, they like to have date nights. And a lot of times on date night, they, they, they decide to go to her favorite store, which is Target. Or as we were told to pronounce in the West Tennessee, Target. And he says a lot of times when they go to Target, they dress up, both of them, both of them dress up in khaki pants and a red polo. Yeah, I tell you, you go to Target. That's next week's sermon. Look right here. And they said they'll go in there dressed in their khakis and their red shirt, dressed like the people that work there. And he said, it's crazy. People will come up to them and say, hey, can I have a price check on this? Or, hey, hey, where are the blenders? Or, hey, can, where, where, where do I find the pillows and, and the blankets? Wouldn't it be great if as a church people come in here on Sunday morning and they can't tell the difference between who works here and who doesn't work here? I think each and every one of our prayer ought to be, Lord, would you make it so that each and every one of us are a part of what you're doing here? Why? Because the church helps us to be involved, number three. That's what a church does. That's what this community of believers does. It, it helps you and me to look past ourselves and to see Jesus, who he is and what he can do through us. I'll tell you another thing that a church is not. A church is not a gas station. Now, that's, that's not my sprint station. I need you to know that. That's y'all's sprint station here closer to town. But, but that's what a lot of people view the, the church as. What do you do at a gas station? You fill up, right? About once a week. Well, when you drive the expedition, it's like four times a week. But about once a week, you come in on two wheels, you're running on fuse, you jump out, you fill up, and then you head back out. And here's the thing. You don't even really think about having to stop by and get a, get a fill-up until the light comes on and the needle's over there in the yeast, and then you drop in for a fill-up. That's how so many people approach the church today. It's a fill-up station where you drop in once a week real quickly to get your Bible fixed, and then you head back out, and you don't give it another thought until next Sunday, if that. Look at verse 46. I'm going to mess up your whole day. So continuing daily, uh-oh, daily, black ink on white paper, 
daily. That means day by day, every day, not just going to, not, not going to church every day, but being the church every day. Well, now, preacher, I, I just think that you're taking it a little bit too far. Preacher, I, I, I just think that coming to church more than once a week is really extra biblical. Really tell that to the first century church. And notice how they did it. See, that's how you know Acts 2. They weren't Baptist. Because they, they went to church daily, every day. And when they did, they went with gladness and simplicity, literally sincere hearts. They were joyful and authentic. That, that lets me know they weren't Baptists because Baptists would have griped about it the whole time. Can't believe we've got to get up and go again today. If you were to ask, so I, I thought about having Ryan and Treasure uh, grab the cameras and a microphone and go out on Columbia Road and conduct what we call a man-on-the-street interview, but then I got to thinking about it. There's only really two types of people on Columbia Road, the quick and the dead. <laughs> I'm the first one. Um, but I thought about having to go out there. But if you were to take a, a, a camera and if you were to go and, and do some man-on-the-street interviews, and if you were to ask them, hey, what do you think about the church? Those two words, joyful and authentic, are probably not the two words you're going to hear. Most likely you're going to hear something like judgmental and hypocritical. What verse 46 is saying is that you are to be part of the church every single day. Not just coming once a week at best. It means that this is who you are. And you show it by being authentic in your home, in your neighborhood, in your classroom, and in your office. Our problem is that we think of the church as a place, a building. But the church is not a building. The church is a body. It's a family, a fellowship. You are the church. Amen? You're the church. So, I've got a buddy of mine, Jeff Labor. Jeff Labor calls me Dr. Doctor. And so, I know a little bit about language. and English. So, the word church is a noun. It means it's a person, place, or thing. Well, the church is not a place, so it means it's a person. That means the church helps us to be, number four. Be what? Be real, be authentic, be filled with Jesus, be his hands and feet. One last image. The church is not a fitness club. Matter of fact, can, can I get you to know something real quick? That picture is taken from the outside because I don't have a clue what one looks like on the inside. What are you laughing at? Some of y'all don't either. <laughs> but I think that's the way most people view the church. It's a gym. You say, Pastor, that's good, right? Because people ought to come in and this can be a place where they get spiritually fit and in shape spiritually. Nope, not really. Nope, uh-uh. If you do some research, you know what you'll find? That most of the folks who actually go to the gym are already in shape. They just go to the gym to stay in shape. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to get that today, did you? Many of those folks who have gym memberships, they don't even go. I just feel better knowing that I pay money every month 
to go to a gym I never go to helps me feel healthy. A lot of people have the mistaken idea that the church is for people who already have all their stuff in shape. Their marriage is in shape. Their kids are in shape. Their life is in shape. Chicago Tribune did a story on a gym in Chicago. Had a really unique policy. You could not join their gym unless you had a goal of losing at least 50 pounds. And here's what they said the reason for that was. Sometimes fitness centers become their own worst enemy because the very people that need the help the most don't feel comfortable coming. If we're not careful, we can make this place like one of those. We suck in our gut. We walk in like we have it all together. When in reality, we're wearing two layers of Spanx and praying it don't bust out all over the place. <laughs> Some man sitting out there this morning going, what Spanx? Just ask your wife. I don't have a clue, right? Some guy said, that's what I got when I was growing up. I said, no, it ain't that. It's kind of like, no. Look in verse 47. <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You want to know what the church is supposed to be? The church is supposed to be a place where outsiders become insiders. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be that place where outsiders become insiders. Why? Because the church helps us become. So, if the church isn't a theater, if it's not a store, if it's not a restaurant, if it's not a gas station, if it's not a fitness center, then what in the world is it? The church is a lighthouse. That's what a church is. The purpose of a church is to guide lives through the dangerous areas where you have all those reefs and rocks that could destroy them, through dense fog that would cause them to get off track, and through dark nights that disorient even the most seasoned sailors. And a lighthouse provides light and a signal to show them which way to go. It is visible both in the daytime and at night. And it always points people in the right direction. That's what a church does. It helps people get out of the dark and home safe because the light of God's truth is always on. Now, don't you look there in verse 39 and 40. We're going to wrap this up this morning. I want you to listen to what Luke says. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That is to be our cry to a lost and desperate world. I was talking to my friend Ken Whitten this week and they're mentors I've had in my life. Of course, Dr. Rogers and Dr. Merritt were some of the main ones, but Ken Whitten was right there too. When I was first called to preach, I was a student at Union University, and Ken was brought in that year that I surrendered to the ministry to do the fall revival at Union. He stayed in the commons where my dorms were, the McAfee commons. They were the new dorms, and they had this common area with a TV and couches and that sort of thing and after the services I would sit down there and talk with Ken 
Back in the day, I actually handed him a cassette tape of one of my very first sermons and asked him, hey, would you listen to this? Some of y'all have a cassette what? Ask your grandparents. And, uh, but I handed him a cassette tape. And I said, would you listen to this sermon and just give me some feedback? And so Ken Whitten has been a mentor. I, I shared a hotel room on a mission trip with Ken the night that Tony Dungy won the Super Bowl and he called the next morning and he said, hey, pastor, we won. I was there in the room. I was talking to Ken this week and he made, he made this statement. It is, my goodness, it's good. And here's what he said. Some people believe their way into belonging and others belong their way into believing. Some people believe their way into belonging, but other folks belong their way into believing. And we've got to be a place where people can come in and see what we have and experience how we love and say, I don't know what they have, but whatever it is, I want it. At the end of Discover Abilene, that's our new members class. After I've gone through and we've talked about what we believe and our statements of faith and how we operate and what you can expect and all those sorts of things. When we get down there to the end, I always make this same statement. I'm going to ask you today to commit yourself to Christ and to His church. I'm going to ask you today to commit yourself to Christ and His church. And as I end this sermon, I want to just say the same to you. I'm going to ask you today to commit yourself to Christ and to His church. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, maybe you were raised in church, you, you were sprinkled or poured on when you were a baby, you, you were, went through confirmation, you were dunked in a baptistry after vacation Bible school when you were a child, but you've never been saved. You've never given your life to Christ. Today, I want to remind you that God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. If you'd been the only person alive on the planet, Jesus would have still died for you. And Jesus died and was buried and rose again on the third day. So that if you're sitting here this morning at Abilene Baptist Church, if you would realize that you are lost, that you need the Savior, If you would repent of your sin and commit your life to Christ, He would come into your heart, into your life, forgive all your sin, give you the greatest gift you could ever receive, the gift of eternal life. And you could do that before you leave this place today.